Our reading today is in Ruth 3. You can find that on page 269. Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a garden redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your garden redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man who will not rest until the matter is settled today. Thank you both so much for leading us in prayer and for reading. Uh, please uh, keep that passage open. And uh, for those who are perhaps wondering... Third week in a row, this isn't what normally happens at Above Bar, is Chris Webb ever going to preach again? Yes, he will preach again. Um, we decided uh, last year that it would be really good for each of us, uh, that's Chris, uh, myself and Callum, to have an opportunity to preach a whole series. So that's what we're doing just at the beginning of this year. It's not going to be necessarily the pattern moving forward. But uh, So uh, after I've preached for one further week, finishing off Ruth, Chris will then be starting a uh, series in Jonah and Callum will be doing that same series over in it. Just for those of you who haven't perhaps picked that up, uh, from the uh, weekly email. So will you join me in prayer, please? And uh, 
Let's ask God that he'll help us with, uh, I think we'd agree, it's quite a tricky passage this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. Thank you that it is able to transform us as our minds are renewed. And so we pray, Father, as we come to a passage of scripture that perhaps looks rather difficult, we wonder how it might speak to us today, that, Lord, you will do your work, that your word and the Holy Spirit will be at work in our hearts and in our lives, transforming us, making us a little bit more like the Lord Jesus and pointing us to him, we pray, for his glory. Amen. Well, I, I wonder what you were thinking as Ruth 3 was read for us. Now, whether this is the first or the 100th time that you've heard or read the story, this third chapter seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Places even quite shocking. Let's just reflect, recap for a moment on some of the details. Naomi, a believing woman, tells Ruth, her daughter-in-law, also now a believer in the Lord, to have a shower, get all dressed up with her best clothes, spray herself with uh, Chanel number no. 5, <laughs> then head back to Boaz's farm at night on her own. Um, uh, she's then to wait in secret. Till waited, and she's, he's had his sort of pie and chips, a couple of beers, then pulls back his duvet in the dark and lies at his feet. I mean, seriously? In the Bible? What is going on? Don't forget, this drama takes place in the days when the judges ruled, a time when everyone does as they see fit. Naomi knows, chapter 2, verse 22, that even in the daytime, Ruth is at risk of serious harm out in the fields. So on what planet is it a good idea to now send Ruth out in the dark, dressed to impress, especially as back then it was not unusual for uh, certain women from the town to come during the night, and how can I put this uh, sensitively, to offer their services to the farm workers. For any mothers here, I assume this is not the kind of plan you would devise to try and match your daughter with a potential husband. I imagine for all the parents here, this is not the kind of relationship advice you would want our youth leaders to be giving to our young people. At best, this is extremely risky. At worst, seriously, potentially deadly for Ruth. As for preaching it, it's not a passage I would choose if it were not the next in our series in Ruth. And I came across one commentator that said, this is one of the hardest passages in the whole of the Old Testament to interpret correctly. And I thought, well, thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> but it helps to remember that there are a number of different levels to the book of Ruth. So on one level, this is a true story about very ordinary people, broken, sinful people who don't always make the wisest of choices or give the best of advice. People living in very difficult days, times of famine, emptiness, bereavement, and financial hardship. Until, that is, a rich relative comes onto the scene. On another level, this is a story of how God is working providentially through the lives of these very ordinary people to bring about his greater purposes for his treasured possession, the people of Israel, in the days when the judges rule. Ultimately, he's going to give them a king. 
someone to set an example for them and to lead them so that as they enjoy life in the promised land, they no longer continue to do as they see fit. But of course, from our viewpoint as New Testament believers, the most important level is that as with the rest of the Old Testament, the book of Ruth speaks about King Jesus and points us to him. And so this week, I tried to imagine myself as one of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember as as Jesus walked with them and then revealed himself to them, and as he explained to them, Luke 24, what was said in all the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. And I just found myself wondering what he might have said about Ruth chapter 3. In what way this strange scene at the threshing floor over a thousand years before his birth points us to Jesus and teaches us about him. And it seems to me that chapter 3 is all about finding rest. We see that in the very first verse, which sets the scene for what's to come. If you look with me, verse 1, One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now you may have a footnote in your Bible explaining that the phrase find a home is more literally in the original language, find rest. Indeed, that's how the same word is translated back in chapter 1, verse 9, where Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, both now widows, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So I'm convinced then that Ruth chapter 3 is here not to provide us with relationship advice, although I have to say, some years ago I did hear it preached that way, uh, rather disastrously, I have to say, because it would be madness, surely, to take this story as a pattern to find a marriage partner. Now, Ruth 3 is here to encourage and urge each of us, married, single, divorced, widowed, to find rest in Jesus, our Redeemer, to look to him and trust in him to provide for all our needs and to give us ultimate peace and security, both now and on into eternity. Uh, Finding rest is one of the great themes of the whole Bible. Back in Genesis 2, we're told of the seventh day, God rested from all the work of creating that he'd been doing. Not because he was tired, of course, but because rest was the goal of creation. Uh, That's why uniquely it's said of the seventh day. It's not said of the seventh day. There was evening and there was morning. Now the seventh day just goes on because it's intended to point us forward to eternal rest. Adam and Eve had that, of course, initially in the Garden of Eden. They enjoyed perfect, unbroken, joyful fellowship with their creator. That is until they gave in to the temptation to be like God, to make up their own rules for life. And so they were thrown out of Eden, out of the place of perfect rest and peace. And God placed angelic beings and a flaming sword flashing back and forward to guard the way to the tree of life, to the place of rest. So how do we now escape that flaming sword that still today guards the way to the tree of life? Well, we need a rescuer. Or more accurately, we need a redeemer. A redeemer is one who is able to pay the ransom price needed to buy us back from our captivity to sin and to bring us safely to eternal rest. Well, let's look at some of the detail then of Ruth chapter 3. See how it points us to Jesus and how it teaches us why he alone is able to redeem us and give us rest. The first reason is because Jesus, our Redeemer, is without sin. Jesus, our Redeemer, 
is without sin. Uh, there's no reason to doubt, I think, that Naomi had the very best of motives with this scheme to bring Ruth and Boaz together. Uh, remember, in days with no government or charitable help for widows, well, Naomi wants to ensure that Ruth is protected and provided for. But if you find yourself questioning the wisdom of this plan and unsure quite where this story might be heading, well, I think the narrator has got you exactly where he wants you. Because there are all sorts of hints and suggestions in the way the story is written that Naomi's matchmaking efforts are intended to unsettle us. So in contrast to chapter 2, which takes place in the daytime, did you notice that the majority of this chapter takes place under cover of darkness? And the atmosphere that's created is one of secrecy. So look at verse 3, for example. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there. And then notice how many times the verb to lay is used in its various forms. Verse 4, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Well, that could have multiple meanings, couldn't it? So we're left wondering, what exactly does Naomi think will happen? Again, middle of verse 7, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. He's there to protect the grain, you see, perhaps from hungry animals or, or from thieves in the days when the judges ruled. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, or that could possibly be translated legs, and lay down. Now in the Bible, to lay with someone often means to be sexually intimate with them. Is that what Naomi hopes will happen between Ruth and Boaz? In that culture, to lay at someone's feet shows submission. And so to put a younger woman together with an older man in a very intimate, submissive setting, well, this is surely only going to end one way, isn't it? Well, no, we can be confident from the text that despite, yes, the risky and probably unwise nature of the plan, nothing sexually inappropriate happens. Remember, we've already been told, chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz is a man of standing. That is, he's a man of good character. He's a godly man. Uh, we saw plenty of evidence of that, didn't we, last week in chapter 2, how he speaks kindly to Ruth, how he protects her from farm workers who may want to harm her, how he lavishly provides for her. And then notice in chapter 3 what Boaz now says of Ruth. End of verse 11, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. That's the same Hebrew word used to describe Boaz as a man of standing. Let's remember too, this is all Naomi's plan. It's not Ruth's own idea. The narrator, I think, is keen to stress that Ruth is simply doing what she was told, showing respect to her mother-in-law, acting in faith. So verse 5, I will do whatever you say. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Who am I to speak? But not necessarily, it would seem, always the wise thing to do. Now, it does help to understand, I think, that in the Bible, the threshing floor, that is the place where the edible grain was separated from the husks and the straw, the threshing floor represents a place of testing, decision-making, and even judgment. So in Judges 6, we're in the days when the judges ruled, remember. In Judges 6, the Lord appears to Gideon as he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And Gideon tests God's word. How? By laying down a fleece on the threshing floor. 
Later, King David will buy a threshing floor and make sacrifices so that God will stop judging his people through a plague. And on the site of that threshing floor, later God's temple will be built, where, of course, sacrifices are made to deal with sin. Over in the New Testament, Jesus himself uses the language of threshing in warning Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, sift all of you, that is, test all of you as wheat. And so here in Ruth 3, we find Boaz being tested on the threshing floor. We know he's a godly man, we've been told that, but how will he react when he wakes up to find a sweet-smelling young woman lying at his feet? Will he turn temptation into opportunity, or will he react in a godly way? Verse 8, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and more literally, the text says, behold, there was a woman lying at his feet. We don't know exactly what caused him to be startled, a dream perhaps, maybe a noise. More likely, he just felt cold. Remember, the duvet has been pulled back. His toes at least might be sticking out now. If you're married, you know what happens when your partner pulls the duvet over them in the middle of the night. You wake up freezing, don't you? That may be what happened. Who are you, Boaz asks. Remember, this is out in the country. The threshing floor was usually situated away from the farm, often on top of a hill, no ambient light. So Boaz wakes up in pitch darkness. And I don't know, does he perhaps smell the Chanel number five before he feels this body lying at his feet or sees the shadowy figure of a woman? The narrator, I think, is purposely setting the scene and building suspense. How will Boaz respond to this trial at the threshing floor? It's a test for him. What will he do? Will he take advantage of this young widow? Will he simply throw her out, perhaps, in anger? Or will he make good and godly choices and do the right thing? See, the Redeemer is being tested. Will he turn out to be blameless, prove himself worthy, to redeem Ruth? The writer of Hebrews tells us that our Redeemer, Jesus, was tested too. Indeed, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. All four Gospels record instances where Jesus interacts very tenderly with women, including an account in Luke 7, involving Jesus' feet, a woman whose character was questioned by others, and some very expensive perfume with which she anointed the feet of Jesus. Simon the Pharisee says if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus was often called, wasn't he, a friend of sinners, by way of accusation by those who opposed him. Religious people were keen to find fault with him, often tested him, tried to catch him out in his words or actions. He was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of breaking the Sabbath. He was tempted by Satan in the desert, tempted to give up on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus passed every single test with flying colors, as the saying goes, proved himself utterly blameless and worthy to redeem. So with that in mind, can I ask you this morning, have you come personally and lay at the feet of Jesus? That is... Submitted to him as your Lord and Savior. Put your trust in him. Come to him for rest, peace, security, forgiveness. You may be holding back, wondering if following Jesus might perhaps restrict you or whether he might intend to harm you or spoil your life. But know the Lord is good 
And what he does is good. Indeed, he's perfect, utterly blameless. And he's come not to steal or to destroy, but to give life, life in all its fullness. But not only is he without sin. Notice, secondly, Jesus, our Redeemer, is willing and qualified. Uh, the fact Boaz is a close relative is key to Naomi's plan working. Uh, Ruth knows this too, as is clear from her reply to Boaz down in verse 9. So she explains that her intentions are good. I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Uh, if you weren't here last week, a guardian redeemer is someone who is legally obliged to help a relative who is in financial distress. Uh, Ruth's words are actually an echo of what Boaz said to her in our key verse last week. Remember chapter 2, verse 12, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And the word translated corner here in chapter 3 is the same word that's translated back in chapter 2, wings. And so the more literal English standard version of the Bible translates it like this, what Ruth says, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. In other words, Ruth is trying to say to Boaz, Will you be the answer to your own prayer that I'll be richly rewarded under the wings of the Lord? It's a somewhat subtle way of asking Boaz to marry her. And she does have to be cautious because of various cultural taboos. Back then, a younger woman couldn't ask an older man to marry her, nor could a poor widow ask a rich man to marry her, nor could a Moabite ask an Israelite to marry her, nor could a servant ask the boss to marry her. Oh, let's be clear, this could all go horribly wrong for Ruth. So again, the narrator creates suspense. How is Boaz going to respond to this subtle yet bold request? Don't forget, he's just woken up. Surprised by the appearance of this pleasant-smelling woman lying at his feet. I don't know what you're like when you wake up in the middle of the night. If I wake up in the middle of the night, especially if I have a glass of wine the night before, as Boaz did, I'm not going to be at my best straight away, I'll tell you. I'm going to take a few moments to come to. But look at the first words that pour out of his mouth. Down in verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Do you see, immediately, his heartfelt concern is for Ruth. And his kind and generous words reflect this. Words of comfort reassurance, tenderness, godly words overflowing from a godly heart. And here perhaps we get some insight as to why Naomi felt she had to engineer this kind of somewhat seductive scenario before the harvest is over and it's all too late. Boaz is clearly very conscious, isn't he, of the age difference between them. Evidently very fond of Ruth, but wondering if perhaps she wouldn't prefer to pursue a younger man. And so, yes, in a sense... Ruth needs to make the first move to indicate ever so subtly that a, a marriage proposal would be welcome. Well, Boaz is certainly willing to redeem, but notice he sees a potential problem. Is he the best qualified to redeem? Verse 12, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. To use the language of the royals, it's a bit like he's saying, look, I, I'm, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not 
first in line to the throne, as it were. So we'll have to see if this more closely related Redeemer, who according to the law is better qualified than me, if he's willing to do it, well then let him do it. But if not, don't worry, I'm in. See, once again, godly bias is determined to do everything in a godly way, according to biblical principles. Now when it comes to our Redeemer, of course, there is nobody better qualified than Jesus to redeem us from slavery to sin and bring us into rest. And, and the writer of Hebrews wants to make that clear to us, that Jesus is our very closest relative. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 2. Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's those of us who trust in him, come to him for rest, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus, our Redeemer, is without sin. He is willing and fully qualified. There's no one better qualified. And then notice finally, Jesus, our Redeemer, is determined to get it done. I love the way Boaz continues to show love and concern for Ruth, even without knowing yet if she is to become his wife. He can't be sure which way this will go. And yet he urges her to lie down on the threshing floor until morning, where of course she'll be safe. He's also very keen, notice, to protect her reputation as a woman of noble character. Verse 14, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor because he knows what people will think. And once again, Boaz sends Ruth home with lavish provisions. This time it's six measures of barley poured out into a shawl. We don't know exactly how much that is, but it's so much barley, she has to carry it in a bundle on her back. So I wouldn't be surprised if when she gets home, she's no longer smelling of perfume, but of perspiration. And she meets Naomi, verse 16. How did it go, my daughter? I just have this picture of Naomi awake all night, anxious to know if this plan has worked. And when Naomi hears the story of all that Boaz has done for Ruth, she says, verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi clearly knows the character of the man. She's confident that Boaz, their family redeemer, will get to work that very day to make things happen, that he will be determined one way or another to ensure that Ruth finds rest in the home of another husband, whether it be his home or the home of this other relative. And in the same way, Jesus, our redeemer, was completely determined to find rest for those the Father entrusted to him. Luke tells us as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, that is by the pain, humiliation, and abandonment of the cross, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Or he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Another translation says he was determined to go to Jerusalem. But why go there? When he knew that he faced certain death by crucifixion, because that was why he came into the world. 
The only way to purchase our redemption and eternal rest was by offering himself as a blameless, willing, fully qualified sacrifice. And he did not rest until the matter was settled, until he cried out on the cross, it is finished. He still doesn't rest today, of course. Even though the work of paying for our sins, that work is complete, be assured. But Jesus is still very much at work on behalf of us, his brothers and sisters, if you're trusting in him. Working for our good to transform us into his likeness. Often in hidden, unseen ways. Sometimes in ways that may well seem confusing or unsettling. And if you know that song we sing sometimes, I think more in the evenings, Waymaker. Puts it like this. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And Jesus works by his spirit through his people too to ensure that every single person that he came to seek and to save will hear the good news about this amazing rescue mission. You know, can I say, if you're not yet a believer here this morning, that is why you are here. Because in his providence, Jesus the Redeemer has worked hard through all kinds of circumstances to bring you here. Because he wants you to hear about his rescue mission. And for all those who've already taken rest in Jesus, well, you can be greatly encouraged this morning because whatever difficult circumstances you might find yourself in, whatever trials or temptations you may be experiencing even this morning as you sit here, Hebrews 7 verse 25 reassures you that Jesus, your Redeemer, listen to this, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I always find it heartwarming when a brother or sister, and some of you do regularly, let me know that you've been praying for me. That's such an encouragement. But how much more encouraging to know that Jesus, your Redeemer, always lives to pray for you. And because he is so determined, he will not rest until he brings you safely to your eternal home. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Why don't we take a, a moment in the quiet to make our own response to this wonderful redeemer. Our redeemer who's without sin. Our redeemer who's willing and perfectly qualified. And our redeemer who is determined to get it done. God is faithful. He will do it. He will get us to our eternal home.